Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. For me, right now in my life, travel means meeting new people in an intentional way. And it also means remembering who I am, which sounds really weird. But for me, I love being able to go to a new country, to a new city, to a new place, be able to go there alone and then discover new parts of that place. And then also discover new parts of myself or remember parts of myself that I might not necessarily be tapped into in my day-to-day life. is The Maverick Show, where you'll meet today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody, it's Matt Bowles. Welcome to The Maverick Show. My guest today is Sienna Brown. She is the founder of Las Morenas de España a thriving community and online platform that teaches women of color how to move abroad and build a life they truly love. The main focus is to provide the resources, knowledge, and support that can empower women of color to comfortably take the leap and start a life in a new country. Originally from New York and now based in Spain, Sienna is also the director of marketing and business development at Sun & Co., one of the leading co-living spaces in Europe, whose mission is to impact professionals through living spaces that foster remote work, bringing together a diverse group of like-minded people to connect and grow. Sienna, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, man. I'm super excited and I'm so glad to be on today. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be awesome. I am so excited to have you here. We should just set the context. You and I actually met through our mutual friend, Allie Green, who Maverick Show listeners know from episode 12. And we should also state that you and I are not in person today doing this interview, unfortunately, because if we were, I would have bought you a nice bottle of Spanish red wine to share during this discussion. Love it. Uh, I am actually back in the United States. I'm recording this in Asheville, North Carolina today. And where are you? Yeah, so right now I am actually in Javier, Spain, where I'm based, but I'm only back for a couple of days. I was just actually in Murcia and then... On Thursday, I'm headed to Granada, but it's nice to be back home. Awesome. Well, I'd love to start with your story and where you grew up and how you got interested in international travel. 
Yeah, absolutely. So it's so funny because when I look back retrospectively, my story started a lot longer before I think that it did. And so I'm originally from New York. I'm originally from Brooklyn. And then I moved to a small town upstate New York when I was in about fifth grade. And so my travel story kind of got started pretty young. My mom was always a really amazing traveler. She had me when she was around 24 and then she kind of stopped for a bit, but she always really made sure that we did a lot of domestic travel. And then when I was 15, I think I went to the Dominican Republic for the first time and I was there for a week and I was there like helping build churches or something like that. And I just remember having fell in love with being in a Spanish speaking country with people who looked like me and just kind of having different cultures and sounds and smells and meeting new people who are amazing. And so that's what really kind of got me started with international travel. And then my love story with Spain, again, ironically enough, started back in sixth grade. Me or my family, we have no ties to Spain, but we had a social studies class and we had to choose a country to focus on to study the culture, the food, the language, all of it. And I chose Spain for some reason. And so fast forward and that story just kind of continued developing throughout high school. Um, we had kids from the north of Spain come to our high school, say for a couple of weeks, had a blast. Fast forward to college. I double majored with psychology and Hispanic studies, studied abroad in Madrid, fell in love with the country even more, <laughs> came back to New York, was working, and then decided that I wanted to come back to Spain to kind of really build a life here without a sense of being stressed and only like having to do everything in two weeks or six months. And then I've been here for the past six years. Amazing. And can we just wax poetic about Spain for a couple mm -hmm. minutes? Because that is one of my favorite countries in the world. I feel like I need to go to Spain every year. I think I've been there every year for each of the last four or five years. I usually try to go for at least a month because it is just so extraordinary to be in Spain. But I would love for you to share a little bit from your perspective about what you love about Spain, both for people that have never been there, but even for people that have been to Spain. I feel like it is so diverse in terms of the different regions and the different cultures that exist within Spain. I would love to hear from your perspective, what do you love about Spain? Yeah, absolutely. So Spain is, it's a really special place, kind of like what you were saying. It's kind of a place where once you try it or once you kind of have experiences here, it has you constantly coming back. For me, some of the things that I really love about it, though, is just the quality of life. Like that is something that I feel like I really had to learn once I came over here. Like people aren't just working all the time. They're actually living and they're not waiting for retirement to build communities, to enjoy, to be out in the sun or having long lunches. And you laugh because there's like a lot of stereotypes about like stores being closed midday and coming from a different culture. We're like, wait, what? Why are you not open? And then once you're here for a while, you realize like, oh, because the world won't stop from 2 to 4 p.m., you know? So <laughs> they're just small things like that to how amazing the people are. The people are super open. Like I've met people who have come to be like family to me. The weather is amazing. I don't have a winter jacket. <laughs> um, so there's just a lot of different things. But for me, a lot of it comes down to the culture, the focus on actually living in the day to day, the focus on not having to worry so much about kind of like climbing a societal ladder that doesn't actually exist and just really like, yeah, just being present in the moment for sure. That's an important caveat. I appreciate you adding that. Can I tell you that the first time 
that I lived in Spain for a month and I've now lived in Spain multiple times for a month plus each in different areas. But the first time that I lived in Spain for a month, you know, the food and the wine are a core part of every (laughs) meal. And what I would do is at lunchtime, I would walk around and I would see people like two people sharing a bottle of red wine for lunch. And like everyone is doing this every day during the week, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's crazy. And so I started asking the local people, I was like, if you drink two or three glasses of red wine for lunch every day, I'm like, don't you get exhausted in the afternoon from that? And they're like, yeah, that's why we have the siesta. I'm like, oh, got it. That makes perfect sense now. So then I start drinking, you know, two glasses of red wine with lunch and then you've got the siesta and then you're back at work and then you're out at dinner at 10 p.m. And then you're partying late into the evening and it just goes around. And by the end of the month, I was like, you know what? The Spanish have really got this lifestyle thing figured out. (laughs) It's so true. It's so, so, so true. And like, it's so ingrained in the culture as well. Like I always laugh about it because even in the language, like there's a word, my favorite word in Spanish is called it's sobremesa which means like the time after a meal when everyone's just like sitting around and talking. And I was like, I find it so beautiful that like meals and food and everything, it's really an event. And so you have like an actual word in the language. It's like the time after that. And I think about it, I'm like in the US, once you're done eating, you get the bill and then you go, you know? And so it's really cool to just kind of see different, different to see the differences like that inside of the culture for sure. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I love about Spain is that it has so many different sections with different people and cultures and languages and histories. So Mm -hmm. the first full month that I spent in Spain was based in Bilbao in the Basque country. And the Basque people, of course, have their own language, have their own history, their own sovereignty and autonomy claims. And it's a really, really, really amazing Mm. region, which has all of the best, you know, food and wine and everything else. But it has a very specific, culturally specific history and culture there. And then the same thing I've spent over a month in Catalonia, right? Mm-hmm. Again, they speak the Catalan language and there's the whole history of the Catalan people and they have their specific cultural elements there. And then I've spent time in Andalusia in the south. And of course, there is where the whole history of the Moors and all the Islamic influence and everything else was in the southern part of Spain. You mentioned you're going to go to Granada, which is one of my favorite parts of Andalusia, especially the Albaicin quarter, the old city. And when you're walking through there, you know, it looks like in certain places, the markets that they have in North Africa, like it could be right out of Morocco. And of course, Morocco is just across the water there. And so as you go around Spain, the food and the wine is consistently amazing, but you get all of these really interesting cultural and historic distinctions in these different sections of Spain. And I just love that. It's so true. And I I love it. That's a really, really, really important thing that you picked up on because I feel like Spain, I I wrote about this in my thesis actually, like when I was in college, but there's a lot of pride and there's a lot of history and there's a lot of knowledge inside of all of the autonomous communities, right? And so you really have this sense of like mini estados inside of the bigger country where everyone just like 
boss people are super boss. Like my, actually, um, one of the co-founders of Sun & he's from Bilbao. And like, he speaks Uskera, which is the language of the boss country. Like it's in his phone. That's what they studied, all of it. And so it's really cool because there are such different cultures. And yeah, there's so much to explore in the country. It's one of the reasons why I kind of have a list of all of the different autonomous communities that I want to go to and visit and experience because it's like going to a bunch of different countries that, again, share language and a general history. But you're so spot on with that. It's amazing. Yeah, it is truly spectacular. When I lived in Bilbao, I lived right in the old city, which is just delightful. And it's amazing, both in terms of the historical stuff, but also in terms of the more modern stuff. For example, the Guggenheim Museum in Bilbao is unbelievable. It's this Frank Gehry architectural masterpiece. And when you go into the museum, at least 50% of the museum tour is about the actual architectural building that you're standing in, not even the art pieces inside the museum. It's amazing. And I would just go every day jogging from the old city, down the river, around the Guggenheim Museum, back up the river. It was just so amazing. And then this past year, I was in Valencia for a month. And from that base, I took a trip up to Donostia, which the Spanish call San Sebastián. And that was just next level. Okay, so just for context, Anthony Bourdain clearly and definitively said that the best food in the world outside of Asia is in San Sebastian. The culinary scene there is absolutely extraordinary. They have the most Michelin stars per square meter of any city in the world outside Mm -hmm. of Kyoto, I believe, at least the last time I looked at the statistics. So the fine dining is insane. But then also just the regular, you know, pinchos that you get the at the pubs as you're walking around, all of the food at all of the different price levels in that city is just mind blowing. It is absolutely incredible. And then from there, I also did a tour of the Rioja wine region and went wine tasting all through Rioja, which was just magical. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, the food and the wine alone will keep you delighted for as long as you want to stay in Spain. And I totally understand why you picked Spain. All right, so let's talk a little bit about Sun & Co. in Javier, Spain. Now, first of all, I have never been to Javier, Spain or Sun & Co. But Ali Green has continually been telling me that I must go because it is her favorite co-living place on the planet of Earth. Now, she is a full-time nomad, an itinerant world traveler. She's all over the place. And she says definitively that is her number one favorite co-living place in the world. And so it's definitely on my list. I want to get there. But for me and all of the other listeners, can you share a little bit, I guess, first of all, about co-living in general? What is a co-living space? And then tell us about Sun & Co. and Javier Spain. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so great. I was actually talking to Ali today. And it's really cool because like something that I found being on the other side of the co-living experience and kind of helping curate that is you end up becoming really good friends with the people who are there and who are constantly back. So it's always been cool to just kind of see how the relationships grow um, over time. But yeah, so a little bit about Sun & Co and a little bit about co-living in general. I'll talk about it from my point of view, because I do believe like there are different types of 
co-livings out there, especially based on different people's needs, right? But for me, I think one of the biggest things about co-living, specifically how we do it at Sun & Co, is like we really try to create the infrastructure and the facility that people need to be able to work smart, to be able to work smarter and live better, right? So how do we focus on bringing together a lot of amazing like-minded travelers, individuals, professionals to live and work under the same roof, right? So I think that's one of the things that could possibly make it special. The way that we do it is because everything's under the same roof. So you live and you work in the same thing. So it's not like you have an apartment and then you go to a co-working space and then you go back home and then maybe there's a WhatsApp group where you kind of like link back up to have dinner together, but it's really what I like to call like accelerated experiences, right? And so you find that in two or three days, you're able to know someone who you just met on a lot deeper level because you're not just learning what they do professionally, maybe attending a workshop that they just led and then having dinner together. But you're also just having those like random moments where you are maybe working out together or you catch up together over coffee or you're cooking food together. So to just kind of backtrack, for me, I think that co-living is really a great way to foster community to foster community within the digital nomad and the location independent professional community, just because when you are traveling the world so much and when you are constantly in different places, it's really hard to build relationships with people and not just build relationships at our surface level, but like go a little bit deeper. Right. And so when you are traveling, it's like, okay, cool. You might meet someone over drinks. And then a week later, if they're still there, you might meet them again. And then you'll start off with the same conversation, et cetera. And so I feel like co-living just really makes it a lot easier to not just be able to have a place that has good Wi-Fi, that's comfortable, and that feels like a place that you call home, but really it's a place to get to know and find your tribe as well, you know? Yeah, for sure. I have stayed in co-living spaces all around the world and made very good friends that I'm still close with to this day. Mm. But now maybe tell us a little bit about Javia, Spain. I have actually never been to Javia. So for me and the other listeners, what is Javia like and what could we expect the first time we stay at Sun & Co? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll talk about it from the like from the digital nomad experience because before I actually started working at Sun & Co, I came as a client. And the first impact that I had of Javier was like, this place is magical. (laughs) And I say that because it just has this amazing, relaxing vibe where you arrive and you're coming in through the mountains and you just see the mountains and then you see water and then you're walking through these cobblestone streets, just like, where am I? What is this place? I've never heard of it before, right? So Javier is a pretty small town. I like to describe it as the perfect mix between not too many distractions, but just enough distractions to be able to have fun on a daily basis. And it's on the coast of Spain, so right on the Mediterranean, and it's about an hour between Valencia and Alicante. I describe the town as like they have three different sections. The old town, which is where San Inco is based, and that's just very the very typical fully Spanish, Spanish vibes, old men drinking coffee on terraces all day long. And then you have the port, which is a little bit more modern. And then you have the sandy beach, which is where you have a lot of restaurants, places to go out, et cetera. And so what would it be like if you came to Sun & Co? You walk through the door and someone's there to greet you with a hug, which is either myself, John, or Sylvia, who's one, who are my coworkers. And for us, it's a really family-like experience, right? So you get the tour, you get to kind of have the breakdown. And so we kind of walk you through the experience when you first arrive. 
answer any questions that you have and just make sure that you feel as comfortable as possible. And then a week at Sun Co. is pretty dependent on whoever's in the house. So every Monday we have a family meeting. It's called a family meeting because we like to think of everyone as family. But we have a family meeting where everyone decides what they want to do. So we normally have between one or two events a day, either professional or social. And depending on who's in the house, everyone goes around and they share what it is that they can bring to the community. So what are the things that they can teach and what would they like to learn? And so you'll find that everything that happens is really dynamic and really organic and led by the people who are there. And what we found over the years is like when people give without expecting anything in return, that's how you really create a sense of community. And so I think that that's one of the biggest like turn-ons is one of the biggest things that people love about it is that they feel like they're actually a part of it. They feel like they're not just staying there and kind of feel disconnected from it, but they really feel like, hey, I'm a part of this community. I'm a part of this experience and I'm a part of what's happening here. And so it's really cool because we have a very, very, very big return rate. So you can almost always find in the house someone who's been there before. Um, And that makes it really fun because then you kind of have the the dynamic of people who have been here a lot of times, also being able to help out, answer questions, tell you where their favorite place to buy bread or meat or whatever is. And it just kind of, it flows really well, which is awesome. Yeah, that's totally amazing. And like I said, Allie Green keeps telling me over and over again that she goes back to Sun & Co. every year. It's her favorite place. I need to go. And so when I finally get there, hopefully soon, you will have me as a customer through a word of mouth referral. And that, of course, is definitely the ideal way, right, to have those repeat customers that go back every year and that bring their friends and family and like-minded people. But in addition to those word of mouth referrals, I know you're also the marketing director at at Sun and Co. And I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about the additional marketing avenues that you're using to find new customers and to build that special community. What types of additional marketing tactics are working for you right now? Yeah, absolutely. So ironically, and this is whenever I look at these stats, it's always really interesting because 50% of our people actually come from word of mouth. So word of mouth is actually our biggest, our biggest marketing tactic. And then besides that, We do really well on SEO. So we really focus on creating engaging content that um, will kind of introduce people who haven't really experienced co-living yet to what kind of the entire situation is. And so SEO is really big for us. So we always try to create blog posts that give a lot of value and then share that and position ourselves well on Google. And then just trying to continue to create community and share an inside look of what it's like at Sun & Co. through social media. So for us, we really focus on Instagram, Instagram stories, so providing stuff that gives value and then also just providing the day-to-day what's actually happening in the house because it's always really interesting for people to see like, hey, this is what your experience could look like if you're here. And there's always a pretty good balance of the personal and professional. Again, the working smarter to live better. And so we love sharing different testimonials. We love sharing different stories about the types of people who stay at Sun & Co as well because... I always feel like that's a really big part of being like, hey, is clothing for me? Like, for example, we've highlighted people who consider themselves to be introverts and they're like, hey, like, I would love to experience this, but I don't know if I could be around people 24-7. And so we try to kind of like share stories about people who have a lot of different backgrounds to just really like reassure others that co-living can be a good fit for you as long as you do it on your own terms, if that makes sense. 
Absolutely. It definitely does. And I love the dovetailing of your friendships with your business customers, especially because you're all world travelers. And I actually want to use that to transition to talk more about travel and go back to your journey and experiences a little bit. And let me just start with a macro level question and ask you, why do you travel in general? Okay, at this point in your life, mm. what do you get out of it? Why do you do it? What does travel mean to you? Yeah, for sure. So I'm a really introspective person, but also a very sensitive person. So I love thinking, I love experiencing, and I love new things. And so a lot of the times when I travel, I do a lot of solo travel. And so ironically enough, when I think of what does travel mean to me, I think of what does traveling alone mean to me. And so for me, Right now in my life, travel means meeting new people in an intentional way. And it also means remembering who I am, which sounds really weird. But for me, I love being able to go to a new country, to a new city, to a new place, be able to go there alone and then discover new parts of that place and then also discover new parts of myself or remember parts of myself that I might not necessarily be tapped into in my day-to-day life. And so... I'm very grateful because in my day-to-day life, everything is always so different with the work that I do at Sun & Co. as well as my own business. But when I'm able to step outside of that and go to a new place and meet new people, I'm always reminded about how vast and beautiful and amazing this world is and then how small my part is in the world, right? How small and then how big at the same time because I think it's always coming back to like, remembering what we're put on this earth for and then how we can continue creating impact in our own lives and the lives of others. And so travel just always reminds me of there's so much more to see. There's so much more to do. There's so much more to explore and so many different, yeah, just cultures and people and cuisines and everything to meet, but then also doing it with a sense of like, there's no rush. Right. So for me, when I, when I think about myself as a traveler, I'm not really one of those people who are like, I have to go to all these countries and see all these things and do this, but I'm really into slow travel and I'm, and I'm okay with going back to a lot of the same places and building deeper relationships there as well. Yeah, for sure. I would love to ask you to expand a little bit and give some tips maybe on how you make the most of your travel experiences. How do you immerse yourself and connect meaningfully with the local culture and not just be a tourist when you travel? Yeah, for sure. So I think that's something that I do, or at least something I try to be really conscious of is like not planning too much and living life there like how I would at home. And so that sounds really simple. But for me, I'm huge on just like working from different cafes, going out and trying different cuisines, trying to go to the same place multiple times to get to know the people who work there. And those are just three really simple tips. So like number one would be try not to plan too much because then you don't leave space for like the serendipitous moments, you know? So like running into someone and then being able to have time to have a coffee with them or have lunch. Um, I would also recommend going to a place that you really like and not being afraid to go back again because I always feel like people who work, especially in hospitality, they're normally pretty cool people. And like, once you meet them or you talk to them, they're really open to, to help, to maybe even invite you out to do different things. And so that can be a really cool in into the local culture. And then the third takeaway would just kind of be like, do what you love to do at home anyway. And don't get too caught up with the touristy things, you know, because if you go to touristy places, you'll find 
other tourists, which is great. But if you're really looking to kind of have that local cultural experience, just try to kind of do that. And also use Instagram, which sounds really silly, but using Instagram with hashtags in the different places that you're going to travel to can be a really great way to find places that you would like beforehand. And so you can kind of see the different vibes of places, what some of the best things to do in different cities are, et cetera. And can we talk a little bit about your lifestyle design and the way that you structure your travel cadence, right? As location-dependent people, there's a lot of different ways that we can choose to structure our lifestyle, how much we travel, how quick we travel, that sort of thing. Can you talk a little bit about for you, where have you landed at this point in your life in terms of your optimal lifestyle design and travel cadence? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I travel a lot both for personal as well as professional reasons. So I try to limit it to at least once a month, maybe twice a month max. And that's because I really enjoy building routes where I'm living right now as well. So I don't like to be gone too, too much. So maybe traveling once a month internationally to the US, maybe once or twice a year, and then to different countries, maybe three or four times a year. But I try not to do too much. And then when I do go to a different place, I try to make it be for five days, five days to two weeks. So it depends on the time of year as well. But anywhere from five days to two weeks for me is normally a good amount of time to have a meaningful experience and then always remind myself that like I'm able to go back. So if I love a place, I'm never really afraid to go back there and to go back there different times and at different times in my life. For example, Porto, Portugal is a city that I love, love, love. And I've been back there a ton of times by myself, with friends, with my mother. Like, So I try not to be too worried about having FOMO, like going to different places all the time. But it's normally between once a month, short trips. And then during the summer, I try to get away for a little bit longer for extended times in different places. I love Porto as well. And I will say that Portugal is one of my other favorite countries in Western Europe. And the wine in Portugal, I think, I must say, is probably the most underrated wine in all of Europe. It is amazing. Mm -hmm. Vino Verde is one of my favorites. It's amazing. I love it. It's amazing. So when you think back now on all of your travel experiences, and you mentioned when you were young, you went to the Dominican Republic, and that was really a pivotal moment for you. Can you think through your travel journey and maybe share any pivotal moments or big impacts that certain travel experiences had upon you that really shaped you and took you in the direction that you ended up going? Yeah, for sure. I I guess the most recent one was right before I decided to move to Javier. So I had been living in Spain for three years. Everything was great. I was running my own business and I was teaching English as well. And it was really good. And then I went to Reunion Island, which is this small island that is a French colony really close to Madagascar. And I went to visit the Spanish guy that I was dating at the time who was living there. And that trip changed the trajectory of my entire life just because it was so amazing to go to a place that's still so untouched and remember what it's like to just like actually live. And it was the first, ironically enough, it was the first time that I'd gone away for a holiday, didn't bring my computer, didn't do anything for work in years. And I was able to just really kind of like get back in touch with what's really important in life. And remembering that like, it's not just all about work. It's not about trying to like get to that next big thing. But sometimes there's a lot of beauty in 
being fully present, being in the moment and kind of making space for living. And so when I came back from that trip, I'd actually gotten the job offer to come to Sun and Co. Before I went on that trip, at first I had said no, because I didn't want to move. I was really comfortable. I went on that trip. And then when I came back, I was like, this is an easy decision. I have to do it. I know that it's going to be a very, very, very pivotal moment in my life if I decide to move to Javier. Fast forward to two and a half years later, here we are. And it was the best decision that I could have ever made. So yeah, Reunion Island was definitely that for me. It was an amazing place. It's a beautiful country. It's so untouched. You are driving down the streets and there's just like these enormous mountains with waterfalls. And it just kind of reminds you how big. I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single family homes sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, the physical house, the hard asset, without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you. To learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now, back to the episode. And vast and beautiful this world is, and we have to kind of enjoy it, you know? Amazing. Yeah, I have heard about Reunion Island. I have never been there, though. So I will definitely put that on my list for sure. So let's talk now. I'm really curious a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey and specifically Las Morenas de España and how you came to found that company. Can you maybe just share a little bit about sort of the lead up to that, what inspired that, and then tell us a little bit about LMDES? Yeah, absolutely. So I was actually inspired to start it by my own experience. I had just got, I was still living in New York, actually, and I was planning on moving to Spain in September. And it was June or July, I had just gotten back from my yoga retreat. I don't do yoga, but I wanted to go to the retreat. It was like this very spiritual experience. And I came back and I had a ton of clarity. And so I had a ton of clarity and I was sitting on the train. I remember being frustrated beforehand because as I was Googling like communities of people of color in Spain, the only thing that was coming up on Google was like, Spain is a super racist country. If you're black, you shouldn't go there. I'm a black woman and everyone thinks I'm a prostitute, etc. And so for me, this is really frustrating because while I heard and understood and respected those stories, a lot of it was lacking the cultural knowledge of why certain situations were happening. Not to say that the situations were right or wrong, but I, I wrote my entire thesis on like how women of color are viewed in Spain and from like a cultural and historical aspect. And so I was just really frustrated that there weren't more stories being told. I am a total optimist. And I was like, I know that there has to be more women out there who are living in Spain, women of color who are living in Spain doing cool things. And so that's how the idea kind of came to life. And I started reaching out to different women who are already living in the country, asked if they would be open to sharing their stories, and then kind of created the online platform. It was started off with just like as a very simple blog where it was about like 
our tagline was redefining the narrative of what it means to be black in Spain. And so that was back in 2014. And 2014, 2015, and 2016, it just really, really, really blew up because there weren't a lot of platforms or people talking about that conversation. And so I remember we had a ton of press like NPR, Huffington Post, Now This News. There were just like a lot of different people who were talking and buzzing about it being like, hey, wow, there are Black women living abroad, specifically in Spain, and there's this community being built. And so over time, I remember that we kind of had a shift about two years in where I thought that my target audience were women who are already living abroad until I realized that we had like 72% of the people who were tuning in actually still living in the U.S. So I realized like people are loving these stories, but now they want to know how can they make it happen for themselves. And so I made a shift in what we decided to do. And it was less about storytelling and like tips on what to do when you get here. And instead, we decided to start implementing as well how to actually make it possible for yourself. So fast forward to that, what we do now is we have an online educational platform where we teach women how to master their move abroad. Um, and it's an eight week course where we kind of go through everything from how to figure out what's a good timeline to how to position yourself for amazing work opportunities. And then we also host retreats as well, two times a year, one in Javia actually, and the other one in Granada. And so we do that as well as just continuously putting out weekly content to help people figure out how to move abroad and build a life that they really love and on their own terms as well. That is amazing. Can you talk a little bit about what came out of that initial project as you started reaching out and connecting with people of color that were living in Spain and starting to get those experiences and get those narratives as that project evolved? What were ultimately the takeaways and the results of that that you found? Yeah, it's insane. The the takeaways and the results that I found was like a really big internal struggle about a year and a half ago. Because when we first started out for us, the huge, the huge thing that we wanted to do is just kind of like change the story about what it is to be a person of color in Spain. Because back then in 2014, there weren't a lot of communities, there weren't a lot of events, there weren't a lot of people who were talking about like personal and professional growth abroad. And so we hosted conferences, we hosted events, we hosted everything. And then about a year and a half ago or two years ago, I kind of had an identity crisis because I was like, are we needed anymore? Because everything that we had set out to do was now being done in Spain on the ground. So now you can find a ton of different meetup groups. You can find communities. You can find a ton of people of color doing different things like poetry and all this stuff. And so the thought or the concept of how do we change? How do we change the narrative in Spain? That was kind of accomplished. And so then we had to think bigger and say, okay, how do we start now just like empowering as many women, specifically women of color, but we've extended, we've expanded past that now as well to be able to say, Hey, you already have the skills and knowledge and everything that you need to be able to score remote work, but not just remote work, but flexible work to be able to live wherever you want and wherever you're going to have the freedom and flexibility that you really desire. And again, I think it just goes back to a lot of representation. Like if you don't see someone or hear someone like you, that doesn't necessarily have to be like ethnicity and or gender, but maybe that could be coming from the same town or maybe that could be coming from a single parent household, whatever that looks like. But if you feel like there's no one else like you doing it, it's going to be a lot harder to start versus if you say, hey, 
I also am able to see, and with social media, it makes it a lot easier, but be able to see there are other people like me who have kind of gone down this path and who have already paved the way. Okay, now I know that I can do the same as well. And which of the sort of concepts are like, how much of it is Spanish centric in terms of the country of Spain versus how much of the principles and concepts are broadly applicable to other international countries and and things like that? And, And can you share what some of those are at this point? Like since you've been doing this now for so many years for women of color in particular, what types of tips or concepts do you have for navigating this even beyond Spain, like in whatever country they want to go to? Yeah, absolutely. So with our course, Master Your Move Abroad, it's although we are based in Spain, that's always been like our biggest branding thing because we've expanded so much beyond Spain. I think we have readership in over 160 countries. And so when we were able to see that, we were able to say, okay, this is, although we're based in Spain, which is where we have the most knowledge, it really expands beyond that. But The thing that we essentially do is we help women kind of gain the clarity that they need on their ideal lifestyle and location fit. We help them figure out how to kind of build a reasonable and achievable timeline for them to learn what their dream company is. And so it's not just like, how do you move to Spain? But it's like, how do you figure out what type of life abroad is going to be best for you? And so that's actually one of the first things that I do when I work with my different clients is being able to say what is going to be best for your situation, right? So maybe Spain isn't going to be the best country for them, but how do they figure it out on their own? Like what type of things do they want to be living? What type of culture do they want to be immersed in? What's their ideal location fit? And then we go from there. So I really work and I really focus on making sure that they're figuring out what's best for them versus what everyone else is doing. Sienna, I would love also for you to share a little bit about the course that you have put together, Master Your Move Abroad. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So what we do is we have an eight-week course that really just helps women be able to position themselves and have the clarity and confidence that they need to score the remote work that they want. So I always kind of say that I work in the three M's, right? So mindset, methodology, and motivation. And so what it really is, is just kind of like working hand in hand, helping women be able to figure out not just where they want to be moving to. So of course, where they want to be moving, why they want to make the move. And then also just like things that are really technical, right? So like how to create a realistic timeline based on where you want to go and what type of work you want to be doing. And then the real core of it is like digging deep into who do you want to be working for? So what kind of companies is it? an international company? Is it kind of starting and scaling your own business? Is it having your side hustle support you as you're teaching English or doing something abroad? And what can you bring to the table, right? So the majority or the hardest parts, according to my students, is like our ISSI methodology, right? And the ISSI methodology is essentially identifying your identity, skills, strengths, and impact to be able to position yourself for the work that you want, no matter what field it's in. So for me, it's amazing. It's really the only way that anyone can work with me because I really dedicate all of my time and energy into working with my students. And they've been able to see things like they've been able to negotiate remote work with their current employees. They've gotten hired by their dream companies in different countries like Portugal, for example. They've been able to talk to their partners about where it's going to be the best fit for them regarding the professional things that they want to kind of do while they're abroad as well. And so it's really amazing to just kind of be able to work with women 
to help them figure out how to find work that supports them both professionally and personally, as well as just having a life that has the freedom and flexibility that I feel like we all deserve to have. Awesome. And can you talk a little bit more specifically about the particular considerations for women of color when considering either a relocation abroad or just international travel in general? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like this is like a very generational thing, but specifically for women of color, we have this ingrained belief that traveling the world, moving abroad, doing these different things aren't necessarily experiences that are made for us, right? And so why do a lot of women of color believe that? It's because there's a lack of representation, right? So a lot of times if you think about digital nomading or living abroad or expats, unfortunately enough, the main vision that you see is like a white guy with a backpack, like on top of a mountain in Asia, right? Which is cool, which is amazing. And I support that. But you, when you don't see people who look like you, it makes you a little bit more hesitant to say, how will I be perceived in this country? Mm, is this a country where I'm going to feel safe walking down the street? How am I going to see if I have to put my photo on a CV? Like, will there be a certain type of discrimination? And these are types of things that a lot of the times, if you don't think about it, or if you don't necessarily have to deal with these kind of situations, they would never even cross your mind, Right. And so something that specifically and part of the reason why I dedicate my time and my work to women of color is to kind of change the representation of what it looks like to be someone who moves abroad. So a lot of the times in our course, while our course is for any kind of woman who wants to join, the majority of my students are women of color. And it's just a safe space to be able to say things like, hey, I might have grown up from a single parent household in New York and I'm moving to a different country and I have to kind of learn to adapt to different situations or just kind of like believe in myself that these kind of situations, that these kind of work opportunities are for me and that I won't kind of have a negative situation just because I am a woman of color, if that makes any sense. And do you have any strategies or tips for navigating those differential experiences, safety concerns, and that kind of stuff, which can, as you mentioned, sometimes appear daunting, right? What is the approach mm-hmm. to navigating international travel and or relocation for people of color? Yeah, absolutely. The first recommendation that I would have is finding community. And I say that because if you find people who are on the ground, who have traveled to those countries, who have been to those places... And more importantly, finding community who have had experiences and also have the background knowledge of what a country, what that society and culture looks like, that's super important because then it's not just going to be like, hey, this experience happened to me without context, but it can be like, hey, this is what the culture and society is like in this country. Here's how you can kind of navigate and go through that. And so we actually have a lot of blog posts that talk about how to handle different situations from working with different coworkers to mm, traveling by yourself at like going, doing solo travel as a woman of color, et cetera. And another recommendation that I would have is like, which sounds kind of silly, but it's just like, don't be afraid to take the chance. And so a lot of the times, like, especially being black women, we hinder ourselves from different opportunities because we think that they aren't for us. And a lot of the times using the fact that you are quote unquote, different or outside of the norm is actually one of your biggest superpowers, right? So something that you're able to find is like, 
let's say that you're a woman of color who's going to China. Yes, they might touch your skin because they've never seen a person of color before. But instead of seeing that as a negative thing, using that as like an opportunity to have a cross-cultural education, you know? So being able to say, hey, I might be the first person of color or Black woman that you've met, but instead of getting offended by it, like, let's talk about it so that the next time this is something that you don't do or this is something that doesn't feel as like out of the norm to you. And the community that you've created, the LMDES community, I have watched some of the videos that you've done with interviewing different women of color, sort of entrepreneurs or mm. you know people that are doing really interesting stuff in Spain. And I think you've put together quite an extraordinary community. Can you talk a little bit about that community and how people can plug in and connect with that? Word, of course. Yeah. Um. So... The two questions that you asked kind of really go hand in hand because part of the reason why I started the community was to just share more of those real stories and real stories with like the historical cultural background behind it. And so our community has in the past five years, we've grown to over, I think, 10,000 women come to our website a month. We have a Facebook group that we just launched at the beginning of 2019 that has almost a thousand women. Our Instagram has over almost 15,000. And like, it's just a community where people can come together, share their stories and feel seen, feel seen and feel like they can talk about different situations in a safe space as well. And so something that's really great is in addition to doing the teaching aspect of it, like we do in the course, we also have retreats where people are able to go from knowing each other online to being able to have that in-person contact as well, where they're able to say, okay, cool. I feel like I found my tribe of like-minded women who are also looking to do the same things. And so the thing that I love about this community is that everyone is so giving and everyone is so motivated, right? So you're able to see people who share different job opportunities abroad, people who share their stories, moms who talk about the best schools in their town for kids. And it's just a community that loves giving back and giving to one another. And so for me, it's always a very like heartwarming and just a heartwarming situation to see that women from literally all over the world are so willing to kind of give and give back to one another just so that we can all kind of like live the best lives that we can. That's awesome. I want to ask you as well about from a business perspective, sort of a tactical perspective, how mm. you have effectively gone about building and growing this business while also working as the marketing director for Sun & Co. I feel like a lot of people are trying to balance working full-time, building a side hustle, doing the business, doing the job, and that can sometimes be a different balance. And I would love for you to share any tips or insights in terms of how you have effectively done that. Absolutely. This is one of my favorite topics outside of talking about co-living, remote work, and women of color. Um, so for me, one of the biggest things is not just time management, but also energy management. So I guess I'll share my five top tips really, really quickly. Tip number one would be learn how to track and manage your time. Something that I've done, I use the application Toggle, which is an amazing time tracker. And I've been using that for the past six years. And so I'm extremely in tune with how long it's going to take me to do something. And so I'm able to say, okay, I know that I have to work, let's say, eight hours today in my full-time job. And I know that I need to spend two hours doing LMDS stuff. So I'm able to really organize my time in my calendar because I know how long it takes me to do kind of tasks that will move the needle forward. The second thing that I would do is 
Or my second suggestion is taking care of yourself, which sounds extremely silly, but there have been times where I hadn't put my health first and I found myself burning out because again, of course, if you're juggling working full time while growing a side business, it can be easy to kind of be working 24 seven. And so I've learned that I have time for myself in the morning and I disconnect before 11 p.m. every night and really just make sure that there's time to kind of fuel back into myself to be able to make sure that I have the energy that I need. The third tip that I would have is see your full-time job as kind of like your quote unquote business investor, right? So a lot of people say, I want to scale my side hustle. I want that to be my full-time thing, et cetera. But one of the best things that I think has ever happened is not having LMDS be my full-time job that pays the bills because it's allowed for me to have it evolve sustainably and to actually know what my clients, what my customers and what my community need, right? So instead of just saying, okay, I need to make money tomorrow. Instead, it's like, hey, let me provide value for you. Let me show up for you and let me do that on a consistent basis. And then once I do that, when it comes time to sell, it's not necessarily selling. It's just me saying, hey, I know that you need this thing. Here, I can provide it for you. And then that's what makes it so easy for us to now generate income and revenue. And so really just thinking about your side hustle as a sustainable side hustle. So not having the rush of kind of trying to scale too quickly, but instead actually listening to what your client's customer's community need. The fourth one, I would say, I don't have a list in front of me. I'm just kind of spitballing. But the fourth thing that I would say is if you want your side hustle to eventually become your main thing, have that be the thing that you focus on in the morning or whenever your brain is the most awake, like the most alert. And so something that I used to do is before I would come into work, I would dedicate an hour and a half each morning to working on my side hustle or on my own business before going into my nine to five. Well, my job is a little bit more flexible now. But when you have the time in the morning, I always recommend that like you spend that time on your stuff so that no matter what happens during the rest of the day, you say, okay, I've invested the time and energy that I need to into my future, right? Into my business and into my company. And the fifth one, just to kind of wrap it up, would possibly be like being honest as well with your job. Hmm, That depends. But if you're in a job that's kind of cool, I would say be honest with it because I, the reason why I actually got hired at Sun & Co was because of the work that I was doing with LMDES. And so if you're in a company or if you're looking to work in a company that kind of supports and values people who have an entrepreneurial spirit, use that as an advantage and say, hey, this is my side business. This is the thing that I'm working on. And then they'll be able to also know like, if you have other priorities or if you're doing different things as well, they might be able to support that in ways that you would have never imagined because it's something that your work that you're doing on your own business might also overlap into your knowledge and your skill sets and your network for the work that you're doing in your day-to-day job. Awesome. Can you go a little bit deeper in terms of your how you choose to structure your day, mm-hmm. right? So you track your time and you know how long it takes you to do different things and, and which things you want to do in your optimal hours and stuff like that. But can you sort of then take us to the application of that? Do you have, for example, a morning routine? how do you go about actually sort of structuring your day? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to say, kind of not being a rebel, but I'm going to say how I structure my week just because each day really looks different. But I use 
three main tasks, right? So I use Asana, which is an amazing task for project management. And I use that both for my job, my work at Sunningco, as well as for Las Minas de España. I use Google Calendar and I use Toggle, right? So something that I do is at the beginning of each week, I look at my schedule, which varies, and I put those blocks out on the calendar, right? And then I look at the tasks that I have to do each week and I say, okay, how can I time block my deep work, my deep work and my reactive tasks while making sure that I still have time for things like meetings, still have time for things like taking care of myself, right? And on a day-to-day basis, what can that actually, what can that normally look like? I plan my days the night before, almost always. So at the end of each workday, I say, okay, here are the things that I did. Here's what I accomplished. And here's what I either have to tackle tomorrow. Or if I didn't get to something, I move that task to the next day. Um, and then my morning routine is normally waking up. I don't wake up too early. I wake up maybe around 7.15. I either go to my workout classes or I go for a run. And then I come back home, journal, have breakfast. And then my way to kind of ease into the day is having a cup of coffee. Sometimes that starts going directly to Sun & Co and getting that deep work for Sun & Co done. And then on the days that I have off, which again varies, that could be a Wednesday or a Thursday or a Monday, I sit down and I dive into the LMDS work that I have to do. So I have a pretty good balance of like five days, including weekends, working at Sun & Co, doing the deep work there. And then two days, maybe two and a half days doing LMDS work. But this kind of goes back to what I was saying before about time management and growing a business sustainably. I don't think I've ever spent more than 20 hours, 25 hours maximum a week on LMBES ever. And that's great because normally my average is between six to 10 hours, but doing that consistently for five years will get you a lot further than spending like 40 extra hours a week or working 60 hours a week with your day job as well for two years and then feeling burnt out and then saying like, is this even worth it? You know? Absolutely. And let me ask you sort of a Mm follow-up question about stress management. mm -hmm. And when stressful things happen, either in work, in life, in business, that kind of stuff, what techniques do you have for handling that, dealing with that and managing stress in your life? Yeah, absolutely. I will kind of start this out with a story of something that happened to me three and a half years ago. So I used to be someone who thought that I can manage stress well, and I wasn't. And until one time, God, the universe, whatever you want to call it, kind of threw a snowball in my face. And that snowball in my face was one day I'd come home and I lost all of my hair in one night to alopecia. But at the time, I had no idea what that was. And so I just kind of gotten home and my hair started falling out. And I was like, what's happening to me? Am I dying? I don't know what's going on. And so after doctor says and everything, everyone was saying it was stress. And I was like, cool, I get that. But I don't necessarily believe that because it was something that just happened so quickly. Until I started doing my own research and I started looking into it and I started saying, okay, well, even though you think or you feel like you're not stressed, you really are. And so something that I've learned how to do since then is I do this thing where it's like, I really make sure that I'm intentional about everything. And so when it comes to stress management, I have a very clear direction on where I want to be going in life. And I have very clear values. And for me, one of those values is living a balanced lifestyle. 
So something that I've learned how to do is like, I've made it very easy to say no to things and to not feel bad about saying no to things. And I feel like a lot of the times as we're growing our businesses, as we're traveling the world, as whatever happens, we feel FOMO. And so when we get these moments of like, oh, I'm really stressed because I'm overcommitted or, oh, I'm really stressed because of X, Y, and Z, we feel like, oh, but I have to because if I don't, X, Y, and Z. And so something that I do to kind of deal with stress management is just like learning how to say no and doing that proactively, doing it proactively so that I don't reach to the place where I am really stressed. Now, fast forward and let's say that something happens out of my control and I am in a moment where I'm extremely stressed. Things that definitely help. Number one, I go to therapy once every two weeks. And so being able to kind of like decompress and talk that out there definitely always helps. The second thing that I do is I journal on a daily basis as well. And so whenever I am kind of feeling that stress, I look, I look a little bit more internally and I say, okay, what are the things that are triggering the stress? How can I deal with it and how can I cope? But for the most part, I also am like not afraid of like taking a step back, right? So being able to take two days to disconnect, putting on like an email responder saying, hey, I'll be off for the next couple of days, taking... I think in the US, they call them like personal health days, right? And so I'm really just not afraid to do that or not afraid to say no, but I really think about stress in a proactive way. And so instead of saying, oh, the shit's hit the fan, essentially it's saying like, hey, how do I make sure that I'm doing everything in my power so that that doesn't happen? That is awesome. I really appreciate you sharing all of that. All right, Sienna, at this point, are you ready to move into the lightning round? Oh, let's do it. I'm going to try to have lightning round answers. <laughs> <laughs> well, the parameters of the lightning round are that the questions are going to be short and sweet, but your answers don't necessarily have to be, unless you want them to be. The lightning what is one book that has greatly impacted you that you would recommend people check out? Living Forward by Michael Hyatt. It is a book that is amazing and really just kind of puts your life in a holistic way. So it kind of talks about your different life accounts, not just professionally, but also personally. And it gives you a very real feedback on like looking at your life now and asking yourself, if I were to die tomorrow, would I be happy with the life that I'm living? And so I first found that book, I think maybe three or four years ago, I revisit it yearly. And it's an amazing way to kind of check in with myself and saying, okay, am I on the path that I want to be on? Am I having the balance that I want to? And how am I consciously like pouring into myself and my personal life just as much as my professional? Awesome. What is one app or productivity tool that you're currently using that you'd most recommend? (laughs) Toggle. I should be a sponsor for them. I love Toggle because it really, really, really helps me figure out how long things take. It helps me be a lot more productive as well because when you hit play and you say, I'm starting a task, it doesn't make you multitask and you're not all over the place on social media, but you're really just focused on what you're doing in that moment. What is one content medium that you consume? It could be a podcast you listen to or a blog you read regularly that you'd recommend people check out. Mm, a podcast that I love. And I think the most consistent one that I listen to is The School of Greatness by Lewis Howes. It is a dope podcast. He's an amazing interviewer and he has amazing, amazing, amazing people on the podcast. He's had people from actors to actresses to influencers to business owners to investors. And it's a really great way to just kind of consume new points of views and hear interesting questions as well. If you could have dinner 
with any person that you've never met who's currently alive today, who would you choose and why? Mm, this is a tricky one. <laughs> I think I would say the first thing that I was going to say was Oprah, but that's not true. Um, I was going to say Issa Rae. So for people who don't know, Issa Rae is an actress. She is also the producer of Insecure, and she's also just gone to do a lot of amazing things. And I really respect and admire her because I feel like she is someone who is extremely true to her personality and who she is, but she's become amazingly successful because she's leaned into that. And so I really kind of view her as, I view her as a role model. I think I'm just, I'm working through these thoughts now, but I think I really view her as a role model because she hasn't had to give up who she was and the quirks of her personality. And that's actually what's made her excel. If you could go back in time now and give one piece of advice to your 18-year-old self based on everything that you've learned and everything that you know now, what would you say to 18-year-old Sienna? Mm, I would tell her not to be so hard on herself and that success can come with ease. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Final two lightning round questions are travel related questions. Awesome. The first one is what are your top three favorite travel destinations you've ever been to that you would recommend people check out? Oh, okay. Love it. Um, the first one is Reunion Island, which is a French island right next to Madagascar. It is this beautiful place that's still extremely untouched. Not a lot of people know about it. And it's a very magical place and a place that I would recommend that you go to disconnect for like one or two weeks. The next one would be Sorrento, Italy. Sorrento. And I say that because it was a place that I was in for a day, but I've always had this desire of wanting to go back and experience it for longer. And then the third one would be I think I'm going to say Porto, Porto, Portugal. And that's just because it's a place that I love and it has a very special vibe for me. I feel like it's not too hipstered out like Lisbon is now, but it's the place where I had my first solo trip. I took my mom there for her 50th birthday. I was back there in October and it's just like a very beautiful, quaint place to just kind of go get to know it, meet locals and have a good time. Awesome. What are your top three bucket list destinations? So these are places you've never been that are the highest on your list you'd most like to go. Mm, this is so embarrassing. I've never been to Greece and it's been on my bucket list for years. So Greece is definitely my first one. My second one is, I'm not sure. I really want to go to Indonesia, but I'm really against going to Bali. And so I'm against going to Bali for a couple of different reasons, but I really want to go to like a small island or a small beach town in Indonesia. And then the third one, I would say, ah, the Amalfi Coast, duh. Sorrento's on the Amalfi Coast, but I really want to go to one of the smaller cities that are right on top of the coast. That's been a dream of mine as well. Those are really good picks. The Amalfi Coast <laughs> is an amazing place. So yeah. that's, that's awesome. Wonderful. All right, Sienna, this has been super, super amazing and wonderful. I want you to let people know how they can come into your universe in all of the different ways. So tell them about how they can find and come and stay at Sun & Co., 
how they can come into the LMDES community and take your course. And for that matter, just find you and follow you on social media as well. If you're there. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely there. Probably there a little bit too much, but I'll kind of go down the list. So if you are interested in remote work, if you're interested in finding an amazing remote work community coming to a beautiful place and just kind of like getting down and connecting with other like-minded location independent professionals, definitely come to Sun & Co. in Javier, Spain. You can find us on social media. The majority of our social media handles are Sun & Co. underscore Javier. We can, well, we can, I'm sure that Matt will share the links with you guys below, but Sun & Co., you can find us all over on social media. Um, For LMDES, feel free to join our online Facebook group at LMDES The Tribe. Check out our online course. I would love to work with you at Master Move Abroad. You can find that information on our website at lasmarinasdeespana.com. We also do a ton of fun stuff on Instagram, so you should definitely join that community. And if you just want to connect with me and I talk about all of these things quite often, as well as what Matt and I spoke about regarding time management, growing a business while also working full time, you can find me online, definitely on Instagram. That's where I'm the most active at Siempre Girando, which means always spinning. So S-I-E-M-P-R-E-G-I-R-A-N-D-O. And I would love to connect with you. When you reach out, definitely let me know that you found me from listening to this podcast. And I want to thank you, Matt, so much for having me on. Well, thank you for being here, folks. We're going to link up everything that we talked about and all the different ways to contact Sienna is going to be in one place in the show notes. So you can just go to themaverickshow.com and go to the show notes for the Sienna Brown episode. And all of those links are going to be in one place there. So you can find them. Sienna, this was so amazing. I really, really had a blast. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much. I had such a good time. This has been one of my favorite podcast interviews. So thank you for having me. And I really appreciate it. All right. Good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Do you want to learn how to travel the world for a year plus with carry-on luggage only and look good while you're doing it? Go to themaverickshow.com slash packing to see a free recorded webinar and learn exactly how Matt does it. He shows you the luggage he uses, the specific items he packs, and the travel brands he likes most. Even if you're just looking to go on shorter trips, but pack more efficiently and eliminate your checked luggage, you won't want to miss this. You can watch the free recorded webinar at themaverickshow.com forward slash packing. Would you like to get Maverick Investor Group's white paper on real estate investing for digital nomads? How to buy U.S. rental properties from anywhere in the world and finance an epic international lifestyle? Just go to themaverickshow.com slash nomad. The report is totally free and available for you now at themaverickshow.com forward slash nomad.